Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and I'm excited to introduce you to a psychotherapist, a minister, podcast show host, and co-founder of the Global Bridge Foundation, Robert Strzok. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. We're so glad to have you today. And there's so many great things to talk about. So one of my favorite questions is why are you, how did you become passionate about mental health? Well, in a certain way, it was a pre-existing condition. Uh, I would say that I was passionate about mental health when I had a, a mother that was, let's say, devoted, wonderful, and a bit bitchy. Um, and so it, it just never made sense to me. Well, why aren't we loving? Um, and so from a very young age, I really felt like, how could we not want to love and be loved? I mean, what, what, what else is this about? And it became obvious that that was the first of three or 4,000 experiences where I realized that people don't necessarily assume we're here to love and be loved. So that was really the uh, natural progression of wanting to be a counselor, wanting to be a good friend, wanting to be a good lover, just wanting to be a caring influence in the world. That is so beautiful. Sounds like my mother a little. So my mother was <laughs> extreme, who was bipolar, and when she was medicated, it was wonderful. And when she wasn't, she wasn't that loving um, and caring mother as much. But yeah, um, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about the work that you do as a psychotherapist. Well, I've been doing it for almost 50 years. And so I started very, very young at 22, running a halfway house for 128 schizophrenic patients that we called members in three apartment buildings and supervised 50 interns uh, that were master's students before I had my master's. So I was off to a rather quick start and then went from there to a residential treatment center for teenagers. And again, we brought in interns that were masters in MFT, uh, looking for hours. And really the emphasis was on, uh, let's say self-esteem, self-awareness and, and really developing self-compassion. And from there it moved into private practice and I taught at Santa Monica College and I counseled at Santa Monica College and, and then started a foundation and uh, so, and then started to work exclusively with people that for the last 25, 30 years that were quite successful and realized they felt empty. And so there was a preponderance of people where that was my reputation, my only referrals I was taking were people that really had done, quote, everything right, but they realized that the American dream didn't fulfill a heart. And so, so really, uh, it started to merge in spirit with the foundation that we, you know, that we created as well, my partner and I. And it became kind of a combination of really a, a blending of mental health being connected to humanitarian spirit as, as well as to a certain 
aspect of spiritual values, not spiritual beliefs, but spiritual values. <laughs> and what is the difference then of spiritual beliefs versus spiritual values? Well, spiritual values are things like empathy and trust, trustworthiness, compassion, mm -hmm. ten tenderness, strength. Whereas beliefs tend to be much more esoteric, you know, where, where you're believing in an afterlife, you're believing in heaven, you're believing in doing rituals, you have to go somewhere on Sunday, or you have to bow down at certain times. And it's not that I'm against beliefs. Yeah. It's just, it's just it's so secondary to living a life like the founder of the religions that began it and probably before they even anticipated having a, a religion. Right. And, that's, and that's not to say that I'm uh, Jesus Jr. Or, or Buddha Jr., but it is to say that it is my aspiration to try to bring that into my life in, in the various forms. Yeah, um, that is beautiful. And so tell us a little bit about the therapy that you do and how your view might um, vary a little from traditional views. Well, first, thanks for asking that question. It's an important question. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that I see mental health is, is that you develop a positive attitude toward the most challenging feelings and situations you have in your life. And it's not that you're saying, oh, yay, I'm suffering. It's more, it's more like, oh, good, I'm aware I'm suffering. So that gives me a chance to care for myself or, oh, good, I'm aware of another suffering, my client's suffering. And so I can brainstorm with them, heartstorm with them as to what's the best way they can stay aware of, stay with what they're feeling, the fear, the anger, the anxiety, the depression, the loneliness, the jealousy, competition, and say, congratulations, you're paying attention to it, you're aware. And that has to be the good news um, or else you're gonna be set on a, on a track of self-rejection. So it's very important and not often understood that the attitude toward your challenges needs to be, I'm so glad I'm aware. And then at the same time, segueing or pivoting toward uh, your core needs that can take care of you. So I, I've written a book and in the book, it has something called the introspective guides that lists 75 challenging emotions and 75 healing qualities, thoughts, and actions. And so when you can identify the challenges specifically and then look at the list and say, well, which ones of these would help and try to hold it simultaneously. So I, I'm a therapist that is really halfway valuing a version of traditional therapy where of course you need to stay aware of your feelings, but it's not so much express them unless you're let's just say constipated with your feelings. And then of course, it's very important to be able to express anger or to be able to express sadness, to be able to express fear. But the most important thing is while you're in this feeling, how do you really take care of yourself and looking at those specific qualities and actions and thoughts that are going to guide you when you need it the most. And the, the li emotional literacy is so important. And I find that 99 out of 100 clients can't distinguish clearly between their feelings and their needs, mm. their, cha their challenging feelings and their needs. And this distinction to make it 
in a very precise way, and then to be able to support yourself and receive support from others by letting them know what you need is, is a goal of mine because the goal doesn't become, I want to get rid of my anxiety. I want to get rid of my anger. No, feel it as fully as possible because it's your feelings and they're important to feel. But of course, you don't want to be fixated on your feelings and just stay there. You want to feel your feelings as deeply as possible, even if you feel them for the rest of your life with some, some core constitutional feelings, we will. Uh, but, but then we want to really catalyze ourselves like a Pavlovian response. Every time we have a difficult feeling, we want to be able to drop in and say, well, how am I really going to specifically address the needs that are really creating these feelings? Or how am I going to address my needs? Even if, if, if they didn't create the feelings, the lack of fulfilling them, how can I really take care of myself when I'm suffering from, let's say, a genetic depression or genetic anxiety? You know, maybe it's medication. Maybe it's uh, recognizing you're not doing it to yourself on purpose and in a kind way saying that to yourself. So there's a tenderness around you while, you, while you're suffering. And so your book lists these 75 challenging emotions? Yes, it, it lists 75 challenging emotions and 75 core needs. Okay, and can you share with everybody? I just moved, as you know, this weekend. Otherwise, I would have been holding up your book and sharing it. But can you share with our um, guests the title of it? Of yeah, it's, a, it's Awareness That Heals, Bringing Heart and Wisdom to Life's Challenges. Beautiful. And when did you write that book? I wrote it two years ago. And how long did it take before that? <laughs> to actually with all the ideas. 45 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Beautiful. I, so yeah, I, 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 I part comes from <laughs> one more time. The 45 years of your wisdom put, and then into two years into a, I love that. Now, do you think if somebody is reading your book that that's going to be enough? Or do you think that that along with meeting with a therapist um, is gonna really do the trick to help them move through their emotions? I, I have a close friend, a relatively new close friend that has been reading the book for eight months. And if it's read very slowly and you really do take it personally, it's not a matter of understanding concepts. It's a, it's a matter of applying them to your, to your life, which I repeat ad nauseum. And I also have two podcasts that I'm doing right now, one of which is an expansion of Awareness That Heals that does it kind of in slow motion where I'm sharing my challenges that I've had through life and my two close friends are sharing their challenges. And so I think the combination of the two is a great kickstart. Uh, but I have no illusion. This is a lifelong practice. This is not, we have the insight and then we've got it. Now, I believe that, that life really requires us to be in practice till we die. And that, that really we have to consistently recognize that when we have a challenge, almost always, especially if it's a deep one, we're going to think, oh, this one's worse than last time. And then we're going to forget, well, what was that I learned again about trying to figure out what my needs are? And so I believe it's really a 
a guide that needs to be continue to be consulted as do all the best books in your life or best practices in your life. And we never get over it. And one of my key principles that I really stress is don't try to get over your feelings. You know, you, you know try to develop your needs supporting your feelings. And if they really support them enough, if they're ready to dis disappear, they will. Otherwise, we need to keep practicing. So it, it's really a great question. And it's so important that people don't have the illusion that we're gonna get over challenging feelings. And also the other aspect of therapy is we're not just working on problems and solving problems. We're actually trying to expand our heart. We're actually trying to expand our sense of wellness. We're trying to ex expand our sense of well-being. And so the idea of seeing therapy as problem working rather than inspiration uh, creating is really an important uh, double strategy. I love that. So like we could rename therapy to um, growing our hearts, going to a growing my heart session. That's beautiful. And as I've gone through my healing journey, I know that releasing different emotions, anger, resentment, shame, blame, guilt has let me been coming more from a heart place as opposed to an ego and being heard and yeah, um, I love that. And so you shared something with me the other um, day about the positive versus negative um, emotions or, and, and um, how to be aware of them, but also not to call a negative emotion, a negative emotion per se. Can you right. expand that please? Yeah, I mean, because every emotion is really representing the birth or potential birth of a core need, it's like throwing out fertilizer. You know, it's like, why would you call something that's a key to growth negative? And it, rather than the beginning of something that can be positive, it's not guaranteed, of course, you have to do the work or when, you, when you've done it enough, it doesn't even feel like work. It actually starts to feel like play or uh, sincerity. And it doesn't mean at times it doesn't feel like work where you're really at your most severe suffering. Yes, at those times, it does feel like work. But a lot of the times it really is, oh, I'm afraid. Oh, okay. Normally, I might have called that a negative emotion. But now I'm realizing it's asking me to be as courageous as possible, or maybe, maybe I need more safety. And which one is it? And I'm sure glad I'm aware of my fear, so I have a chance to develop my courage. Or if I'm sad, what is it that's really wanting to be fulfilled to make me more happy or more satisfied in life? So you, you view the, what I call challenging emotions rather than negative emotions as a birth of, or a pregnancy, let's say more accurately, that can create a birth if, if we're able to transform that into what, what it is we really need to, to take care of ourselves. I love that analogy, and especially the um, end of the birth, the birthing process, when the pain's really harsh, at the, you know, but there's that beautiful baby or that light at the end of the tunnel. That yes. is beautiful. Um, so what happens if someone like, has a severe trauma, and there's two cases, one, like let's go with sexual abuse, and one, they remember it, and 
and they don't want to relive it again and they're just so angry and they hate the person they can never forgive and then two someone um that doesn't even remember it because their their subconscious mind their conscious mind just blocked it out and how do you heal if you don't remember it? And then I know for me personally, I've been doing four years of intense healing before I even recall being molested as a little girl. Um, and then I was able, you know, then to kind of visit it and heal through it and all that. So can you talk about those two different instances, please? Sure. So first of all, for those that remember it, there hopefully is another part of you that you can inspire that can say, even though this is a horrible memory to remember, I'm so glad that I can actually remember it. So it gives me a chance to actually work on it and, and to see my innocence and not let it taint my innocence because it's so often with sexual abuse that you're left feeling guilty when, you know, when the, you're obviously the, the, the innocent and, and uh, uh Oh, what do we do now? Um, you know what? We're going to take a quick pause. So it's perfect time. And we're going to come back to this. So let's take a quick uh, break. In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. We hope that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, with Robert Strzok, who's a psychotherapist, a minister, podcast show host, and co-founder of the Global Bridge Foundation. Well, thanks again. So, Robert, if you can, uh, sorry, the doorbell rang. Uh, welcome to the new world we're in. Um, if you can please continue with what you were talking about with um, handling sexual traumas, whether the um, person remembers or doesn't recall. Right. So again, it's so important that the person that's traumatized recognizes that they're going to be experiencing an irrational guilt, and they're going to they're going to be uh, including that as a big part of their trauma. There may be terror, there may be fear, there may be depression. That could be part of it as well. So being able to bring that up and and have an attitude of it's it's good that at least I have the courage 
and the awareness still to be able to face this so I can develop the core support that I need from inside me and from outside me. And really, generally speaking, it's reaffirming their original innocence. Uh, if they're giving themselves a hard time uh, for some way, reason that they say, oh, gee, I, I did wear a kind of skimpy top or whatever else, then, then realizing that was not your intention, that, that you, you were not doing that on purpose. That was, that's you giving yourself a hard time. So you're really attempting to bring your heart to yourself, your, your acceptance, your tolerance, your, your forgiveness, and either from yourself, your friends, a therapist, that's really clearly the way to work. And it's a long-term process that for most people. And so really fasten your seatbelt and recognize this is, this is a real, real hard slice of life. And I'm really going to give myself the time it takes to bring my heart to myself. And recognizing that one of the dangers that exists with any kind of trauma is unwittingly withdrawing from yourself. So your mind might just be saying this to you, but you're trying to evoke your heart to actually be with you. And so you're, you're watching closely. Is this my mind talking to me only? Or is there any part of me that can have my heart? And if I can't find my heart, that's when I know I need a little bit more help. I need a therapist that's going to be able to empathize with me and be able to reaffirm my innocence. And for those people that don't have the awareness, but let's just say they have an awareness of some kind of hole or emptiness or fear or anxiety, it's a great question to ask. And this is something that in Awareness That Heals, the book, I really go out of my way to try to teach this tool is whenever you don't feel good in some way to ask yourself, you know, do I, do I have an open, caring attitude toward this difficult feeling? And if the answer is no, then you know you're in a state of self-rejection. And because, because if we, let's say we were afraid and I asked somebody, well, do you, uh, do you feel supportive toward yourself while you're afraid? Well, of course not. I hate fear. And they say, well, no, yes, that is the normal reaction. But are you being afraid on purpose? No. So why would you give yourself a hard time? So it's developing a positive attitude about whatever feeling you're left with and, and having a curiosity to say, can I make any sense of this? You know, and if you can't make any sense, like there's nothing happening in present time, you're asking yourself the question, is there anything that I can see in the past that would have uh, created this feeling. And let's assume you can't find it. Then, you, then the best you can do is to deal with the feeling in present time and to develop that caring heart. And again, doing a double check of, do I have any affects that can be caring and tender and kind? Because you recognize whatever the remnants you're left with, you, you aren't doing it on purpose. Am I anxiety on purpose? Am I feeling terrified on purpose? Am I feeling depressed on purpose? And what ways can I care for myself given what I'm dealing with in the here and now? So I love that, the heart-based type of therapy. It's not necessary, not only loving others, but loving yourself too. Absolutely. Beautiful. So now let's, if you could share with us about the Global Bridge Foundation, when you started it and why and what the mission and vision are. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it seemed like to love and be loved was 
why we're alive. And so as an extension of my childhood, about 25 years ago, my closest friend of 50 years and I started the Global Bridge Foundation. And we wanted to support the great imbalance in the world of poverty and wealth. And at, at that point, we started off with microfinance and for the first 10 years, which is basically giving small loans to third world village women, mm. $102 loans. And we did that for about seven or eight years, quite a bit. We went over to India. We met the microfinance leaders in India. Uh, we invested in, as part of their outreach. Uh, and when I say invested, it's our foundation is able to actually support them and get our money back if it succeeds, not look like we're going to make a killing on it. Um, and then we moved to an organization called the Acumen Fund, which basically was taking doing the same principle, which is loaning money. And if the person's successful, getting it back so they can loan it again. But they were doing it with millions of dollars for communities rather than two or $300 for an individual to have a stand. And they had projects that were making a difference in the world. So they were creating the much needed agriculture or building wells for people who didn't have water or creating pharmacies or ambulance companies or solar energy. And so they were sponsoring community work with supervision with a person that volunteers for a year, goes into one of the 20 countries and supervises the business plan to help them expand the services and the job at the same time. And then from there, uh, several years ago, I was asked to speak at the United Nations and I, and I spoke at the United Nations and, and really started to talk about something that is a key part of the podcast, but it's also a key part of the, uh, the foundation. It's, it's, the podcast is in under the guidance of the foundation. And the podcast is called The Missing Conversation. And The Missing Conversation is, is starting off with homelessness and regenerative agriculture and how the two together could be scaled in California, really in the country, where a, a portion, let's say 20 or 30% of the homeless or unsheltered people in, in the state and beyond can be trained into this new field where it it is basically a, a difference in farming where instead of taking a deep four inch cut out of the earth and you're throwing carbon in the atmosphere, you're, you're doing a completely different kind of farming where, where you don't do the four inch cut, you use animals and, and you use their natural paws and prints and they poop and they pee in the fields that fertilizes it. You, you, don't, need, you don't need to use artificial insecticides. And the, the Paris Peace Accord has already has 198 countries that are supportive of regenerative agriculture. America's a little bit behind. Uh, and we at Global Bridge uh, have as one of our great supporters, uh, a man by the name of Gabe Brown, who is consulting for 23 million acres of turning over farms to have them become regenerative agriculture. So that's one of our bigger projects. And we're presently talking to the governor's office and the, and the head of homelessness and, and the mayor Garcetti's office and talking to them about changing the requirements for zoning and the requirements for tiny homes to have them include bathrooms and kitchenettes 
So the dignity of having a tiny home, which costs about $30,000, instead of spending $500,000 to build them apartment buildings, or as they're doing right now, mostly buying motels and hotels, instead of doing that, being able to use agricultural zoning, have them include training for regenerative agriculture. It becomes a fundraising, it's a, it's a very good investment. There, you, you actually have eight crops a year instead of growing one crop. And so it's again, the same principle as what we were doing all along is supporting self-sufficiency for those that have the least options in life. And then the, in the uh, psychopolitics piece on the podcast, it's really talking about how it's natural to want to, if you have money and you have free time, it's natural to want to care for your family, of course, and your friends. But if we have a world that is on the verge of possibly dying, and we have a country that is torn up, and we have poverty being at the worst level ever, that we need to reevaluate how we treat family as 99% important and the poor and the planet as 1% important. And when you have everybody in the world that has wealth largely being that way, then it's completely understandable why we have a, a world that's dying and why we have class struggles that are perfect setups for terrorism and for, for nuclear war and alienation within cultures. So we're trying to really reach out to convey the message that we all need to reevaluate. And if we're on the end of working for our survival, not wasting your time and blaming the rich, but really working your tail off of your family and recognizing that has every bit as much dignity as a wealthy person being gener generous. So it's supporting no matter where you are in the economic spectrum to really do what you can and to not just follow the same old conditioning that we've had forever and recognizing that really that the American dream is a very isolated dream and it really needs to include supporting the, the well-being of, uh, of the poorest of the poor, not just the middle class. And I, I hope as we're talking, I hope that the uh, listeners, the, the watchers are seeing that I, I really apologize for keeping eye contact with you, but I also want to say that it's just so important because I, I like bouncing off of, of you and, and just uh, having a relationship. So I, I, I forgive, please forgive me for not looking at the camera directly all the time. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah, I think people understand in our new Zoom world, what an amazing foundation, the Global Bridge Foundation and the work that you're doing. And what I love about it, it's also you're helping with the mental health and well-being of these individuals and the homeless because it's so important. And also it does take, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes the world to raise each individual. So that is just so beautiful. Um, what have I not asked you either about your... Um, ministry, your psychotherapy, the foundation that you would like to share with our friends? I, I just think it's a time that all of us need to recognize that our conditioning and how we were raised was like we've been raised throughout the millennia and that we've been raised to take care of ourselves, take care of our family. And that is not going to help our world survive and that we need to see that we're in a very unique time period in history and that every one of us to be fulfilled 
it's like there's an elephant in the room. There's an elephant in the bedroom. There's an elephant in the living room. There's an elephant in the in, when we're walking. And the elephant is that the world's endangered right now. And that all of us as part of our mental health or spiritual health or humane health need to reevaluate. And even though we may very well have had very innocent parents that taught us to be successful, go to the best schools, and then we're going to be happy. That is, it's an illusion. It's a dream. And, and it's, it's not a bad dream as a partial dream, but to not recognize that we're all, we have no idea how we became either wealthy or poor or why, why we were born in America or why we were born in Syria or, you know, in, in a country that, that really doesn't really have a chance. And so for all of us to try to think for ourselves and say, hi, mom, hi, dad, I appreciate that this is what you taught me. But you know what? I'm going to spend the rest of my life thinking about is my life in balance in how I care for the world and myself and my friends? It, am I using my relationship to money in a way that's in balance for the world and the survival of the world? If the metaphor was we're living in a boat and the boat is the, is the earth and we're going to protect our kids for our future, but the boat's sinking it doesn't make much sense in this time period. So it requires this as being a time period where we're really truly thinking for ourselves and, and creating our own values through our own wisdom, our own curiosity, our own intelligence and, and our own mental health. And I think for therapists as well, that needs to be included as part of therapy for, for let's call it the standard neurotics like, like the healthy of us are. I'm not talking about for people that have severe character disorders or severe depression or severe anxiety. Although some people, if they're well-medicated, it can apply to them too. Uh, but, but really, I'm not trying to be moralistic. It's really a matter of being realistic and, and looking for yourself. Because I believe we all have the capacity for wisdom. And if there's any time, certainly in my 72 years, that, that there's been a time where we need to think for ourselves, now is the time. That is amazing and beautiful. Um, and I once heard something, the difference of knowledge and wisdom. And I never realized that until I've gone through my healing and your knowledge is what you learn and study, learn in school. Um, and then the wisdom is just, I, I don't know how you would define it. I'd love to hear, you know, the experiences that we um, learn and can guide and to share with others. So thank you so much for the knowledge that you have and the wisdom that you're sharing. So profound. Thank and I also you. love with our parents, um, you know, it's kind of like, thank you for everything and maybe F you for some of the things that, you know, we're taught, but um, it's definitely time to change, you know, because parents, they don't have a parent, they don't have a book, they learn from their parents, which might not have been or probably wasn't the right way. And some, a lot of parents, you know, um, will parent out of fear versus out of that love. So it's so profound that we finally break that um, cycle. And what you said, I just, I agree hundred percent that we're in a time right now that is different than no other in the planet in the time of the, you know, existence. And it's so profound that we move like from the I to the we, and then we all come together and do this global work. So I just want to be the first to say, thank you so much for what you're doing for humanity because it's so needed. Thank you. Yeah. And I think highlighting, the something that's pretty obvious if you look at it closely that when we just take care, the wealthy just take care of themselves 
and they abandon the poor, we see that no really powerful wealthy country is ever really taking care of the poor. And because of, because of that, it is a setup for war. It's a setup for alienation. It's a, a setup for class struggles. And that's part of the old conditioning. We see that for thousands and thousands of years, we've had war. And so this time period, the COVID period, is giving us a chance to reflect on, does this really make sense to have war? Does this really make sense to have such a large percentage of our gross domestic product be on having having the defense department rather than having a healing department? And, <laughs> and, and, and really, I'm not saying that instantly make a change and make ourselves vulnerable as a country, but I am saying this needs to be thought out. This needs to be part of the conferences between the presidents of the powerful countries. And we need to see that throughout history, countries have not understood that if we really take care of the poor, we're starting to heal our world. And if we don't, I don't like our odds. Yeah, and it's unbelievable all the nonprofits that I know and work with that, you know, take care of the poor, the homeless, the at risk. It's, and that they, it, it's not easy. They have to do such hard work to raise money. It's not necessarily, you know, a lot of times it's not coming from the government. Um, but I agree with you, and I'm an optimist, so I feel that, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. And I love that. Let's shift from defense to healing. I yeah. am, sign me up, sign me yeah. up. Yeah, and I, and, and I would say that I am a uh, despairing optimist, meaning that I have at one level some despair, but I, I have met li literally hundreds of people in the last several years that are absolutely committed to making this world what it can be. And there's a very significant, what I would call minority, of very, very practical, intelligent, healing-oriented people that are thinking for themselves. And there, there is a lot happening. We are in what I would call an international civil war right now, but I feel like the good guys have a good chance of winning. But, but we all need to do what we can to be part of that. Amen. <laughs> Robert, um, if people would like to get in touch with you, um, do you have a website, an email address, phone number? What's the best way? Robert at the globalbridge.org is, is the best way. And also, also, they could listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast, which is The Missing Conversation or Awareness That Heals, two separate podcasts. Beautiful. It was so great having you with us today. And keep doing all the work. And to you and all of our friends out there, don't forget that you are amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.